Uh, 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 Podcast starts now. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, a very special edition of the podcast. Today, we are going to have the 15 most influential players of the Abibiter franchise. And that's going to be very exciting. We'll talk about that a little bit later. First of all, we have just a little bit of news um, and a little bit of real life news that I'm going to just briefly touch on uh, and a listener question. Uh, So first up is development trait news. Uh, For the Patriots, they played a game at like 2.30 in the morning last night. That is crazy. Man, you guys are weird. Um, But they played a game and they got Max Goodwin, 22-year-old receiver, to superstar. He has the post-flag elite ability, so look out for posts and flags when you play against the Patriots. I think he's there. Well, at least on the raw, I haven't looked at the depth chart. On the roster, he's the third-rated receiver. Uh, got good speed. If he's in the slot, then that post and flag thing will be pretty handy. Um, but either way, it'll be pretty handy. This Patriots receiving core, who I was down on for a number of years, is actually pretty pretty darn good right now. Uh, with that Shaquille Dell, who's an X-Factor, as a 95 overall. And Nate Can is a 92 overall. And then Max Goodwin. Three, three pretty decent receivers there. Uh, good one's a 93 speed, the other two are 90 and 89, or 88, so, uh, not burners necessarily, but pretty good receivers, and then, uh, the tackle that they traded for, I guess, uh, revealed as a superstar, um, that the Browns actually drafted, so that's working out well for them. Uh, in other news, the Chiefs got their tight end, we talked about him last time, Tepper, I believe is his name, uh, got him to superstar. So congratulations to the Chiefs. Um, He is nowhere near an 80 overall yet, so he's not going to have any abilities as a 73 right now. Uh, He's in his second year, but he's a superstar, so he should develop pretty quick at this point. So good for the Chiefs there. And I think that's all the relevant news there. Uh, I wanted to briefly, I wanted to mention this last time, I forgot. Uh, The the real-life Chiefs signed Chris Jones to... I think it's a four-year deal worth up to $85 million, somewhere in there. Um, and, and that's good for the Chiefs. I'm a big Chris Jones guy. Uh, I thought he should have been a priority for them a couple of years ago, actually, or maybe last year. Um, I think those interior pass rushers can be really hard to find. But after they spent money other places, I thought it would be pretty tough to keep him. Looks like they're going to make it happen. Um the TV told me that the Chiefs are now the only team in the NFL with three players that have over $60 million in guaranteed money on contracts. So I'm wondering, because those three players are Mahomes and Chris Jones and Frank Clark, I'm wondering if they might be in a little bit of trouble here in two or three years. And in three years is when Mahomes' extension kicks in and he starts making more money and I wonder if they have outs for Chris Jones or Frank Clark to get out of those contracts because it could get kind of tough at that point. Yeah, you know, it's going to be tough 
uh, at that point to hang on to guys like Sammy Watkins or um, the Honey Badger, but maybe they're not planning on those guys being long-term anyway. So we'll see. The salary cap, there's a lot of ways you can work around it. Sometimes it means you got to cut good players. Um, but I wanted to mention it for the Chiefs because I do think this is going to be one of the tougher salary cap things we have fans have ever seen them deal with when Mahomes' extension kicks in and they've got other guys on high-dollar contracts. Um, it's it's going to get tough to keep everybody they want to keep. So that's a little bit of Chiefs news. And finally, before we get to the very special part of this podcast, uh, we have an email question from a listener named Stacy. And here's what Stacy says. Uh, Dear podcast guy, I think you have a super sexy voice, so keep it up. Why, thank you. Um, You know, people usually don't like the way their voice sounds when it's recorded, and I don't really like mine either, so that's great to hear. Uh, But there's more to this email. Uh, Stacy continues, uh, with the real-life Redskins changing their name and the um, new Madden is saying that they're going to also change them as quick as they can, I was wondering, what team in your league do you think is going to be the next one to change their mascot? So I'm asking you to look into the future a little bit and tell me what's the next team that will be changing mascots. Big fan Thank you again, Stacy. Well, I think uh, we've we've had two teams change their mascots on this game. They also both moved at the same time, so I'm thinking that probably the next team to change their name will also be a team that's moving. I, I think Madden just is set up so that those two things will happen at the same time. Uh, those two teams were the Jacksonville Jaguars became the Brooklyn Bulls, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers became the Chicago Blues. So those are the two that have happened. So to the question, the obvious answer here is the Washington Redskins. Uh, And it would not surprise me at all if Madden or EA or whoever tries to find a way to make all franchises, you know, make that the next team that moves and changes their name. But I, I don't know if that'll happen. It's again, it's the obvious answer. And and that would be fine. Uh, I don't think the NFL wants, or, or Madden wants them to move out of Washington, so that might be a, a problem. As far as what the next one really will be, I, I don't think a lot of the legacy teams, the teams that have long histories, I don't think any of them are going to be moving. Like, you're not going to see the Cowboys move and become the, you know, Toronto whatever Skinners or something, that that probably wouldn't happen. But uh, I think if we're talking about teams that should be changing their names uh, to be more politically correct and to uh, be more sensitive, then obviously the Redskins are one. I think the Browns, I mean, come on, guys, Brown. Yeah, yeah, they're named for the, the guy that created the team. I get it, but still. Brown, um, but I don't know if the game would actually have a user-controlled team move and change their name, because that would kind of stink for the user if if your team moves somewhere like Little Rock and becomes something dumb like the Salamanders. Uh, that would stink that that just had to happen for you. So I don't think it's going to happen to the Browns. 
Here, here's the one I think it is, and I think this is obvious. It's a team that's already been moved. It's the Chicago Blues, okay? I think this is very offensive to Smurfs. I think this is probably a copyright violation uh, with the Blue Man Group. Uh, I don't know how they're getting away with that right now. And, oh, I don't know if you just heard that. I got a text that interrupted the podcast. Um, probably should answer that. It's from a girl. Uh, let's see. I can cut this out later. Um, yes, I can come over later. Yes, bring wine and flowers. I answer that. Okay. All right. Yeah, so, um, let's see. Yeah, everybody, Halle Berry says hello. She's a listener, and she says hello to all the listeners. Um, what were we talking about? Um, oh, team's moving. Uh, the Blues, you know, copyright violation with the Blue Men Group. Um, and, and also, uh, very offensive to those uh, tall, gangly blue aliens in uh, Avatar. Very offensive to them. And, and in fact, uh, Zoe Saldana, who played one of those aliens in the movie, has been publicly critical of the Blues mascot. So... I think that's going to be the one to change, and the NFL has long wanted a team in London, so I think that the Chicago Blues will probably be moving to London, and they'll become, you know, the London Redcoats, or the London Butt Teeth, or something like that, and, and so I think that's the next one. Chicago Blues will be moving soon, and be changing their mascot. to amend the development trait segment because this podcast is taking me long enough that uh, we've had more of these happen. Um, So just to hit them real quick, free safety Robert Massey for the Patriots, revealed as a superstar, and I'm very jealous. That was a player I really liked in the draft, and he is unfakeable. He has that ability there. I don't know what that's worth. But good for the Panthers. And uh, for the Packers, defensive end, a Xavius. A Xavius? I don't remember. Uh, Hale. A Xavius Hale, I think is his name. Um, moved up from star to superstar. He's got the under pressure ability where he can pressure the quarterback from farther away. So I guess it makes the quarterback a little more nervous. Um, you know, as he closes in. So that's kind of useful. Uh, and then another Panthers safety, uh, Nolan Waters went from star to superstar. So that team's going to be tough to throw on probably. And he's an 85 overall right now at 22 years old. And he's an acrobat. He has the ability to dive for increased range on pass breakups and interceptions. So he can... He can dive farther. That's what he got out of that, uh, which could definitely be useful. And then I'm going to have to hunt these down because they, I don't think they were in Discord, but worth noting, we had two play, I believe two teams with defensive tackles as rookies that revealed as X-Factor superstars. And 
I'm just kind of pissed off about that because I've never had that happen on my team. So yeah, the Patriots have Jaden Hudson. He's a fear monger as a defensive tackle. Wonderful. Looking forward to that. And then the Browns, I think, had the same thing. Yep. Devontae Swede is an unstoppable force as a defensive tackle. Not even an 80 overall yet. So he doesn't have any superstar abilities, but uh, he's an elite pass rusher. Uh, when he enters the zone, his ability to win and shed um, gets faster on one-on-one pass blocks. So uh, both those teams gotten much better with those rookie players revealing as X-Factor superstars. So, yeah. Uh, and one other note I wanted to mention. I, this keeps bugging me. Um, I'm sure you've all seen in the draft stories, there is a player coming to America to play for. He already came to America to America to play football and uh, doesn't say where he came from. Um, but his name is Grant Grant and he's a free safety at Georgia. I think there's a decent chance that one of us ends up drafting him because he'll probably end up being pretty good. For some reason, that name Grant Grant just enraged me. What I mean, they can't come up with some sort of simulation thing that can say hey let's not give the guy the same first name and last name that's incredibly stupid so i know our commissioner doesn't like it if we change names but i'm begging you if one of you guys drafts him change one of those names it doesn't have to be something fancy just grant johnson or or brad grant or something like that but grant grant just angers me so anyway i wanted to bring that up i won't bring it up again I might. If he becomes a good player in the league and his name is still Grant Grant, I'm just going to rant about it. But anyway, um, enough of that. That's the you know addition to the development trait news. And now we are going to move on to the main event. time. It's that time to get to what we've all been waiting for, the 15 most influential players of the Abibadur franchise. So, before we just start listing them off, let me tell you a little bit about how these were chosen, okay? These were completely chosen by me, okay? This this was not uh, organized and determined via a scientific process like the draft grades are. Um, this was more just kind of my my feelings. Um, the way I made these decisions um, was I, cho- I, I liked to choose players that have had a pretty long career in the league, and uh, I wanted players that had really helped their teams win. So playoff success, uh, things they accomplished in the playoffs and in user games was weighted a little heavier. Uh, I did not set out to exclude any players from non-user teams, um, but I did not include any of them. 
just because it's been all user teams going to the Super Bowl every single year for our, you know, the whole thing. So naturally, those user teams have had the more influential players. Um, for example, Russell Wilson at the beginning of this franchise, I think he won two or three MVP awards. And if his team had ever gone to the Super Bowl or or had some significant playoff success, then I might have put him on this list, but that wasn't the case. So all 15 will be will be uh, players from user-controlled teams. Um, I will do an honorable mention, and I guess in the honorable mention you could have Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, um, maybe this Craig Kroom, that's, he's the left tackle for the Rams and seems to win best offensive lineman every single year in the NFC. He might have been on a user team at some point, I, I don't remember. Um, and that brings me to my second point is there are no offensive linemen on this top 15 list. Just because they don't put up stats, it's hard to go find out how good they were later, which is what I did for a little bit of this, is I, I would try to investigate these players to remind myself if they were really as good as I thought they were. And it's tough to do that with offensive linemen, so I'll have some in the honorable mention. But also, I just don't remember all their names, because, like I said, they just don't come up. So, all user players and all offensive or no offensive linemen. Um, I did look at some legacy score a little bit on some of these players, but I'm not going just by legacy score. Um, I also want, you know, these are the players that had an impact on us, the users. Uh, so these are the players we would discuss or we would say, Hey, that guy's tough to defend or that guy gives me problems or, things like that. Uh, and so some of the players that have really high legacy scores right now, uh, I barely remember playing against them. And I think that's the case with, uh, with you guys too. So some of it is, you know, how much press do they get? And by press, I mean, we're talking about them in chat or when we talk to each other, we're like, yeah, we're talking about these players. So that's part of it is how much they get talked about. Some of it's a little bit of stats and then kind of big moments. We want guys to have moments. So that played into it a little bit as well. And I think I explained that okay. Uh, and so before we list off the 15, I just want to real quick run through some honorable mentions for each user team. Now because the 15 most influential players, I did not try to spread them out amongst the user teams. I just chose the players I thought deserved it, um, but I do want to mention honorable mention players for all the teams so that everybody's kind of included that way. Um, and I lost my train of thought, so we'll just go ahead and get to it. So honorable mentions. Oh, the other thing is some players could be on this list, but they're still pretty young. And so they are honorable mention guys because, you know, some of them are really influential, but they haven't been playing very long. And, and I think you need to play a while and really have a long-term impact to make this list. So uh, on the honorable mention list for the Chiefs, we've got wide receiver J.T. Hughes, who's currently, uh, I believe, an X-Factor receiver for the Chiefs. Uh, pretty good player. Matthew Carson. Uh, who was quarterback for them for quite a while, that they uh, acquired in a trade from the Patriots and then ended up trading away 
again, and we've talked plenty about that trade, but he was a excellent quarterback for them for quite a while. Matthew Carson's an honorable mention, and I can't read my writing here, so that's great. Oh, Daniel Craig at defensive end. He's won defensive end a couple uh, years in a row, and he's a good speed rusher. And then kind of hearkening back to the uh, early days of the league, Travis Kelsey, uh, he was, I mean, he was a big chunk of the Chiefs' offense in the early days of this league. And Harrison Smith at safety, really good player there. Uh, for the Browns, some of their honorable mention players, Lewis Calloway. And, I mean, Lewis Calloway did everything you could expect a quarterback to do. He just wasn't on the Browns for all that long, really. Uh, maybe six years, somewhere in there. But he won four Super Bowls. Um, then he got traded to the Dolphins, so obviously not good enough for the Browns. Um, and then, who else? Tobias Flowers. Uh, was a second fiddle receiver, but a really, really good second fiddle receiver and put up a lot of stats. Uh, Harold Landry, I believe, has the highest legacy score at right outside linebacker. Left one of the outside linebacker positions. Played for the Browns for a long, long time. If he had made any memorable plays that I can remember, he would be on this list, but I just barely remember Harold Landry playing. But he is in the Hall of Fame on this game. Uh, Nick Bosa, kind of same thing. Tremendous football player, um, but had kind of a minimal impact on games as far as I remember. There's maybe once or twice he was dominant, but other than that, he was quieter than he should have been for his skill level. Uh, Fred Olicon, uh really early on played outside linebacker for the Browns and piled up a bunch of sacks because um, that's just kind of what the Browns do. They get their outside linebackers, tons of sacks. They kind of scheme it up. Um, so I, I actually devalued sacks as a statistic for some of the Browns' outside linebackers. Maybe that's going to make Browns fan, fans mad, but I, I don't really care because I, I don't remember Olicon ever being a factor in any big game. So he is on the honorable mention. And their last one is uh, Josh Askew, who was an excellent corner for them for quite a while. Uh, for the Panthers' honorable mention, uh, the big one in, in their honorable mention list is Julius Brackett, who is in his fifth year now. That He was part of that class of 2030, which turned out to be an excellent draft class. Um, and maybe he, he maybe should have been on this list, even though he's hasn't even played five full seasons yet because guys Julius Brackett in his first four seasons had over 80 sacks for the Panthers and it looks like he's going to be over 20 sacks this year as well so big impact player there uh, another honorable mention for them Toby Clemens at quarterback Arsenio Little at running back who wasn't with the Panther he was with the Panthers about half his career and then maybe a little more than half his career, and then went to the Jets and was quite good for the Jets even late in his career. Um, Lamonte Leary, currently a cornerback for the Panthers, is a very good player. He's put up pretty good interception numbers. And Tyree Kill, we all remember Tyree Kill. Uh, he would put up pretty big stats, um, not as often against other users, though. And that might be the thing that kept him off the... Uh, 
top 15 list. And lastly for them, Evan Ingram, who was a handful to deal with when he was on the Panthers. Uh, for the Patriots, honorable mention, we've got Marquise Brown, just a blazing fast deep threat who uh, he had to game plan around him when he played for the Patriots. And then someone I wrote an incredibly small writing. Oh, Nick Chubb. Not on the Patriots very long, and it felt like he just kind of vanished when they traded him away. But he was a big part of those early Patriot teams that won Super Bowls. Terrell Edmonds at linebacker uh, arguably could have been on the top 15. Um, I don't remember him making a whole lot of an impact, but he played a really long time, piled up a big legacy score, and uh, really, really earned himself a ton of money because he maybe got paid past his prime for the Patriots, uh, but good for him. And uh, Edward, I believe is his first name, Anders, middle linebacker that played for the the Patriots for a long time, then played for the Packers for a couple Super Bowl teams, then back to the Patriots. Very good player, really good coverage linebacker who's uh, picked off a lot of users before. And then Quentin Nelson at left guard, I wanted to mention him because he was a part of those early Patriots teams that ran the ball like crazy, and they would run right behind him. So uh, he was a big part of the, the Patriots dynasty. Um, and then for the Packers, Gabe Cassis at wide receiver, uh, one of the early draft picks of the franchise, was a good receiver for a long time. I, I don't remember him doing anything super special, but good receiver. Montez Sweat at outside linebacker had 90 speed, and there were users that were pretty concerned with him, and probably for good reason. Uh, Derrick Henry didn't play for the Packers all that long, maybe four or five years at the beginning of the franchise. Um, but he had some big games, broke some collarbones. Uh, Lance Buckner, uh, speed demon at receiver that's had some big Super Bowl moments. John Ross, same thing, just earlier on in the franchise. Willis Lawrence at corner. He's uh, been a very good corner for a very long time. Just no big, I would say no big important plays for him. Uh, who else we got here? Zach Martin at left tackle was winning uh, offensive lineman of the year over and over again early on. And then Phil Corcoran, part of that 2030 draft class. And he's mainly on here because he hasn't been putting up great stats the last couple of years, but he's mainly on here because... He's an, he's an institution in the NFL. Everybody knows this guy. Everybody loves this guy. I mean, he he can heal diseased children just by giving them a hug. And, and you know, it's he's his story is so memorable because he was inexplicably not drafted by the Patriots when they probably should have drafted him. Uh, so that's why he's on this list. And then uh, an oldie but a goodie, Bobby Wagner, just because he was dominant for the couple of years he played um, before his skills started to degrade. So that's the honorable mention list that I hope I got through quick enough. And it's time to move on to the actual top 15. And if you are still listening after all that rambling, then you're about to be rewarded. Number 15 is John McClain, currently a defensive tackle for the Denver Broncos, but most of his career was for the Kansas City Chiefs. McLean, I believe, revealed as an X-Factor his rookie year, and 
was outstanding for the Chiefs for a long time. And I don't know that he ever put up huge stats. Uh, he is third all-time on legacy uh, at the defensive tackle position. So that's excellent. Uh, one defensive lineman of the year, I believe, seven times. And I remember a couple of games seeing him just tear through offensive lines and uh, wreck the offense for the opponent. So John McClain is our 15th player. Uh, number 14, stay in at the defensive tackle position, Ed Oliver. Uh, early on, you know, one of those high draft picks for the Patriots in the fantasy draft that paid off big time. And I remember a game when he was playing against the Panthers, and it seemed like they could have triple teamed him, and they wouldn't have stopped him. Uh, just maybe the best pass rusher we've seen from the defensive tackle position. And he was extremely dominant. It was a shame the Patriots got in cap trouble. He was one of the guys that had to be let go, I think, before they would have liked, liked to let him go. And he went on to play his career. I don't remember where else he played his career, but played out the rest of his career elsewhere, and, and he still had quite a long career. Um, but he is way up there on the legacy leaderboard at defensive tackle, and deservedly so. So 14th player, Ed Oliver. 13th player, we're sticking with the Patriots, and this is Irv Smith Jr. So we we had a lot of speedy tight ends that were really important in this league, and Irv Smith Jr. was probably at the top of that list. Uh, he was used a ton by the Patriots. Um, they would target him over and over and over again. And again, he was part of that Patriots team that won the first three Super Bowls of the franchise. Kind of the first three Super Bowls of the franchise. Two and a half. Three with an asterisk. Something like that. Um, but he is he is tops on the uh, tight end legacy board uh, almost three times more than the next guy. And the Patriots just used him like a receiver. And they used him for as long as they could and had a long career in New England. So Irv Smith, very influential in this league. Uh, that was, let's see, 15, 14, 13. This is the 12th most influential player, Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey, as a smaller running back, lasted a long time for the Chiefs and was, along with Kelsey and then you know other uh, players later, uh, an enormous part of their offense, probably most of their offense. Uh, he is really high up on career rushing. If I can keep talking a little bit, I'll be able to find it real quick so I can say what it was. Um, but McCaffrey, amazingly, did not get hurt all that often for the Chiefs, and that was very impressive uh, and, and lasted a long time. Yeah, he is one, two, he's fourth on the career rushing list in NFL history. So that's very, he's just above Walter Payton. Very impressive for Christian McCaffrey. And, you know, he, he could run, they could run the ball with him. They could throw it to him. Uh, so McCaffrey, very influential. You had to plan around Christian McCaffrey when you played against the Chiefs. Number 11 is Cam Mosley, running back for the Patriots. And, and kind of a, a similar story for Cam Mosley. Really big part of the Patriots' success. 
uh, especially these last, I'd say, these last five years or so, um, kind of the three of those, the Patriots were having struggle, having, having a struggle throwing the ball. Uh, the receivers weren't quite good, and the rest of the league had kind of caught up on how to play defense against the passing game. And they really leaned on Cam Mosley, a guy that catches a lot of screen passes, and they get in the power eye, and they run him, and they'll run him out of the pistol. Cam Mosley, uh, really elusive, kind of a slasher, kind of reminded me of Marcus Allen a little bit, the way he plays. And very long career for the Patriots, so Cam Mosley deserves his spot on this list. Um, Next up... And I should have numbered these when I wrote them down, and I did not. So 15, 14, 13, 12, 10. No, 11, 10. Uh, So at number 10 is Geo Fisher for the Patriots. Now, maybe I'm not remembering it correctly. Uh, Maybe he didn't have (laughs) that great of a career. But uh, Geo Fisher, one of the things about him was he was the first, I would say the first draft pick that we were like, whoa, Somebody really hit on a draft pick. And I believe he was the first player drafted that made it to 99 overall. This was an outside linebacker, really good pass rusher. He had the pass rushing X factor. Interestingly enough, he is not in the Hall of Fame on this game. So I can find no trace of him because he is retired. Uh, So I can't tell you his stats or anything like that. Uh, But Geo Fisher was... You know, I play the Panthers every year, and he was somebody I had to plan for. I had to know how I was going to handle him. And an excellent player. One of the, like I said, one of the first players that was drafted and developed into one of the biggest stars in the league. And so for that reason, he makes it onto the list. Uh, Number nine, I believe, is where we are. Uh, This guy maybe should be higher. But as I kind of curated this list, he kept dropping down. Uh, Free safety Darnell Savage for the Browns. Uh, Drafted because of his youth and his speed in the fantasy draft. I I think this is a guy that was a pain in the butt for all of us. uh, Except the Browns, obviously. But I think every user threw multiple interceptions to Darnell Savage. Uh, over the course of his career, possibly multiple interceptions every year. Uh, he could roam the field like crazy so fast. I think he had 96 speed at his peak. And, you know, controlled by somebody who knows what to do with him. Uh, Darnell Savage was was a big problem for everybody that had to play against him. He piled up interceptions Um and so, let's see if I can find him on the legacy leaderboard. I'm pretty sure he made the Hall of Fame. Yes, he did. He's at the top of the legacy leaderboard at free safety by a lot with 13,000 points, and next is 4,000 and some points. Um, which I don't know how much that means. That counts Super Bowls and stuff like that quite a bit. But. Uh, definitely the best safety that's been in the game since we started. He's the only safety uh, in the Hall of Fame. Uh, at this point, 
I guess, Hall of Famers <laughs> that, that were put in the Hall of Fame before we started this franchise. They don't count, and they're not on here. Even though they're in the record book, that's weird. Uh, but Darnell Savage, one of the best DBs we saw. In fact, I think he's the only DB on this list. Yeah, he is. Um, so, Darnell Savage was a big deal. So, uh, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9. At number 8, this is one of my favorite players. Uh, tight end Tanner Sheffield for the Patriots. Uh, one of the distinctions Sheffield has is he is the only guy on this list that was not a first-round draft pick. So he really developed uh, with maybe lower expectations. I, I say he's not a first-round draft pick. Some of these other guys were drafted in the fantasy draft, and they weren't drafted in the first round of the fantasy draft, but they were clearly very talented guys. If we would have been drafting like normal, they probably would have been first-round draft picks. Um, I believe he was a third-round draft pick, a 6'6", 230-pound receiver that the Packers decided to move to tight end, and he just became a matchup nightmare with his size and his speed. At his peak, he was 92 speed. He, he could get in and out of breaks really well. Uh, he was almost impossible to cover with a safety, definitely impossible to cover with a linebacker. Uh, teams that had the most success would cover him with a corner. Um, but then you're you're playing a corner against a tight end. You're light on defense, so that brought a tremendous advantage to the Packers. And he was definitely a part of the Super Bowls that they have won. He was a big part of making that happen. Uh, the Packers have won three Super Bowls. He might have been on every one of those teams. I'm not sure. Um, so, like I said, he's one of my favorite players. I'm a little biased there, and I'm not afraid to say it. Uh, but he's definitely been a big deal. He's one of them that got a lot of press. Uh, a lot of people that talk about this league have really had to think about how do we stop Tanner Sheffield. And so that's why he's a big deal. So number seven, and we're getting into the people who are important and also they're kind of here just because of all the winning they did, some of them. Uh, and, and that's this guy, Dwayne Haskins, number seven. Uh, Haskins was drafted fairly late in the fantasy draft, if I remember right. And um, the Browns had to decide if they were going to stick with Haskins as their quarterback long term. Uh, or if he was just a placeholder from the beginning of the franchise until they got somebody else. And they ended up sticking with him for quite a while. I I want to say he was on the team close until he was close to 30 or so. Um, and one of the guys that started out as a, I think, a normal development trait and worked his way up over the course of a handful of years to be an X-Factor quarterback. And, and when he got there, he was very good. He could put the ball pretty much anywhere on the field. He was unrattled by pressure. Very accurate. Um, and so, and, and he's still playing right now. Um, very few of those guys that are actually in the real NFL are still playing on this game. He's still playing. He's playing for the Rams. 
Uh, so really long career for Haskins. He's put up a lot of stats. He's pretty high up on a lot of the career stats, uh, as you would expect for as long as he's played. So Dwayne Haskins been a very influential player in this league. Won four Super Bowls as well. So that that uh, helps with his legacy. So Dwayne Haskins there at number seven. Uh, number six, uh, similar story here, Kendall Dillard, a quarterback for the Packers. And Dillard was drafted, I believe, in the first draft uh, after the fantasy draft. And he also was a normal development trait and never got a development game, ever. And worked his way up to be an X-Factor player uh, just by winning awards, being MVP, that sort of thing. Uh, so that's a big reason why he's this high on the list. Uh, 15 yearly awards for him, 7 NFC championships. Uh, he was a big reason why the Packers were able to actually get to the Super Bowl uh, and be one of the few teams to beat the Browns, maybe the only team to beat the Browns in the Super Bowl. Um, so a big deal for him and had, I think, some of the coolest uh, abilities. Uh, he had the expanded hot routes. He also had the X-Factor ability that if he got in the zone, he could see what the defense's coverage was, which was really cool. Uh, and he's a guy that's still playing right now. He's pretty high up on the legacy score. He's playing for the Chargers, and he's gotten into the playoffs a number of times, I believe. So great career for Kendall Diller. That's our number six player. Okay, took a little break there. I'm not used to talking continuously for this long, so we're separated it out a little bit. We're into the top five most influential players now. So, number five, uh, no surprise there are some Browns in the top five, is Terrence Silas. Uh, he was the running back for the Browns for a very long time, drafted pretty early in this franchise, and really speedy, elusive guy. He got that, uh, that ability where he had the quicker jukes, and he could just weave his way in and out of people, just zig and zag via the jukes and put up tons and tons of stats over the course of his career. And he was a very important part of that Browns team for a long time because they were built on throwing the deep ball, but Silas is what made it so difficult to just sit there and worry about the pass if you played against the Browns. Because if you were just going to try to play sub packages play dime say uh, on any given down then Silas was going to burn you the Browns could could check into a running play and they could burn you he is uh, he's sixth on the rushing chart just below Walter Payton Um, so tremendous career for Terrence Silas and uh, had remarkable longevity Uh, he was past the age of 30 and still, his skills were at a really high level for the Browns. And, and like I said, huge part of their success. So Terrence Silas there at number five. At number four, we have another Brown. 
Uh, this is a guy that, if you go by stats, he should be higher. Um, but I'm not going just by stats. Uh, this is Mark Darden at outside linebacker. Uh, this guy is the top sacker in NFL history by quite a ways. By, what is that, 45 sacks? Um, also the top legacy scorer in the game. He's in the Hall of Fame. Um, like I said, I don't value that sack number quite as much coming from the Browns. Um, just because in user games, they're just going to get a guy running free to the quarterback over and over and over again. Um, but just the same, this guy was an exceptional player. Uh, he would cover receivers every once in a while. I believe he had 90 speed or maybe even a little more than that. Uh, tremendous athlete. He he wasn't just a pass rusher, and that was what really made him good. And had a very long career for the Browns. And I think one of the, the fan favorites there in Cleveland. So Mark Darden is in the Hall of Fame. He is number four on the most influential players and very well-deserved. Um, and yeah, the top sacker in the game, top, top legacy score guy, uh, one of the best athletes we've seen play this in this uh, franchise. Number three, special player here, Kyler Murray, quarterback for the Patriots. So one of the big reasons Kyler Murray is on here you know, he's he's pretty high up on the list for passing touchdowns uh, in league history. And not passing yardage, it doesn't look like. Uh, but one of the reasons he's on here is obviously being the, the leading figure uh, for the Patriots team that won the first three Super Bowls, or three and an asterisk Super Bowls. Uh, he, he was the guy that ran the show. They had a good running game. They had a good defense. They had an experienced coach. Uh, but Kyler Murray is the guy that, that made it happen. I believe he was the MVP in all three of those Super Bowls. Really piled up the yards, throwing to Marquise Brown and Irv Smith. Um, and, and also prevent, presented a uh, really dangerous running threat. Um, I think most user teams got bit by him at least once on a read option that he would take for 60 yards or so. Uh, so one of the most important players in this league, he could have been more important if he had been with the Patriots longer or if the Patriots had gone back to the Super Bowl maybe a few more times. Um, but he also <laughs> was in the news quite a bit because we talked about him, and he got traded in the division. The Patriots disrespected him so much when they traded him away. Um, and he wasn't all that old when it happened, too. But when they decided to move on, they traded him in the division to the Buffalo Bills. And that was a big deal when it happened. Uh, and so that kind of boosted his profile a little more. Um, I, I'm not sure if he's still playing. I want to say he's not. I can find out real quick, I'm pretty sure. Kyler Murray is still playing. Still playing for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, yeah, so three AFC championships, um, 2.65 Super Bowl championships, 16-yearly uh, awards, 
tons of passing touchdowns, uh, and, and also a rushing threat. So Kyler Murray, big part of this league, big influence on it. He's the number three player. Number two, another one of my favorites, is Miles Garrett, defensive end that played most of his career for the Packers. So Miles Garrett, uh, we all remember him uh, hitting, uh, what was it, Mason Rudolph in the head with a helmet when he was with the Browns. Um, you know, left the Browns after that because that was the worst place he could have been and went to the Packers. Uh, as a member of the Packers, was rehabilitated by that organization and became an absolute model citizen. Uh, and on top of that, became one of the best defensive linemen we've ever seen. So, Miles Garrett, uh, as a 3-4 defensive end for the Packers, would put up great sack numbers. And these weren't manufactured scheme sacks like the Browns. A lot of these were simulated sacks. Uh, He would get one to two sacks every game all season long. And it was remarkable consistency. Uh, In fact, and I can't find it now that he's retired. I can't look at his yearly um, stats, but I'm pretty sure I remember at one point he had five seasons in a row where he had 20 sacks or more. Uh, That's just incredible, incredible stuff. Uh, Had a bunch of of big games uh, over the course of his career where he would get sacks in the playoffs, you know, three sack games or so in the playoffs and the Super Bowl. And really high up on the legacy leaderboard now. He's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Miles Garrett was a guy that had, I think it was 87 speed, and his acceleration was in the high 80s, and 99 strength. So looks a lot like the best 4-3 pass rushers in the league right now, except his strength is like 15 higher than anybody else's. Um... So he just had a, a tremendous uh, strength and athletics athleticism advantage and put it to good use. 24 yearly awards for Miles Garrett over the course of his career. So that includes a lot of uh, best defensive linemen along with defensive player of the year awards uh, when you pile all those up. He's second in the game in legacy score. Uh, behind Mark Darden, who's first and had 28 yearly awards. Um, so, Miles Garrett, number two most influential player in the franchise. Number one, I don't think it's going to surprise anybody, but yeah, I'm going to skip trying to find a drum roll on, on here. And, and we'll just say who it is. It's DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf, receiver for the Browns number one most influential player in the Abibiter franchise. And we all know why. He was unstoppable. DK Metcalf had, at one point, most of his attributes were 99. uh, And and all the important ones were. I think his speed at his peak was 97, maybe. Um, But... Almost everything else was 99. His release was 99, which was the key to his success. Um, because this was a 6'3", 220-pound receiver. 
that if you tried to jam him, he'd just run right through you. Run right through you, then run right past you. And if you were a user team trying to play against him, you had to put another player over the top of him. Or you had to play your DBs way off of him and then pretty much let him run anything he wanted underneath. Um, So he was probably the biggest nightmare to defend that we've had on this game. Uh, He is one, two, three, four. He's fifth in legacy score on the game. And seems like he should be higher probably. But if you go to the record books and go to all the receiving stats, he is not first in receiving yards because Jerry Rice is Jerry Rice. Um, But by the time he retired, I think it was only last year or the year before that Metcalf retired, he was within 600 yards. A little over 600 yards. Uh, So he was within 700 yards of catching up to Jerry Rice's receiving yards record which everybody has always thought is unbreakable. Um, In receiving touchdowns, he's the only guy in NFL history over 200, and he's at 223. So so DK Metcalf, uh, fourth in receptions. You know, he rewrote the record books. If you go to the season records, so, you know, the best seasons that anybody's ever had, He's all over those. I mean, the top two receiving yardage seasons, only receiver ever to have 2,000 yards receiving in a season. Uh, The touchdowns, uh, he's all. (laughs) And on on the list here, there's one, two, three, four, five. He's on here five times uh, for touchdowns. So obviously, blew people away with stats and abilities, but also just when we played him, I mean, there were times when he would just beat you, and there wasn't anything you could do about it at all. Uh, so DK Metcalf, number one player, really well-deserved, uh, almost like having a cheat code on this game. Uh, but the, the Browns did develop him uh, into the receiver that he was. And I think that's about all I have to say about that. I wanted to have an interview with DK Metcalf, but this has been a lot of work. And uh, I just haven't gotten it done yet. So I'll have my staff continue to work on that and try to get a hold of his people. Uh, he has retired, so he, he should have enough time to do this now. I mean, we'd like to have an interview with him just about his career and what an honor it is to be named the number one most influential player and all of that. So hopefully that'll happen in the future. So there you have it. Those are the 15 most influential players in the 15 years of the Abibiter franchise. Hope you enjoyed it. It was a little bit of work. It was an awful lot of talking. Um, And I look forward to the backlash. Um, I I bet I'm going to hear that Kendall Dillard shouldn't have been ahead of Dwayne Haskins or, or... various things like that, or why is why does this team not have as many players as this team, and that sort of thing. I'm looking forward to all of it. It's going to be great. I love it when people get upset about this sort of thing. Um, but anyway, that is by far the longest podcast I have made yet, so hope you enjoy it, and 
We'll look forward to a much more normal podcast next time.